when we have been put to the test. Real faith means obeying God when it's easier and more expedient to disobey. Real faith means that we can obey God even when the path of least resistance seems more desirable. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Daniel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the New International Version of Scripture. If you have it, shout word. Amen. Let's read together. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come up to the dedication of the image he has set up. So the satraps, prefects, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. Somebody said they didn't have an option. O peoples, nation, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down, somebody shall fall down, and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately, somebody shall immediately, be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Whoever hears, I'm sorry, everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, somebody shout some Jews, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, uh-huh, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, somebody shout what God, will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. As you take your seat, shout my title to your neighbor, tell them, but if not. I want to preach today from the subject, but if not. Today's passage offers us a valuable lesson about the importance of fine print for all who walk by faith. If you've ever signed for a mortgage, for a car loan, for a house, or any other major financial transaction, you are familiar with the fine print section. This is typically the section that we miss often in our haste to finalize transactions. Some of you know that we have a tendency to read the big print, but we often skim over the fine print. And some of us know that a failure to lead to read the fine print has led to and can lead to some unexpected and unforeseen consequences. Don't let me be in here by myself. Has anybody ever failed to read the fine print and later on you paid the price for your failure to read it? I'm glad I'm not the only one in the house who has had at least one, come on, somebody shout just one, at least one horror story about my failure to read the fine print. Daniel chapter 3 is a lesson about the nature of fine print for all of us who walk by faith. It teaches us, if I may borrow the language of metaphor, that faith won't necessarily keep us out the fiery furnace. And I know that may be upsetting to some of our theology, because many of us believe or have been told or we've embraced this, what I call mythology, that if you follow God, if you're a disciple, if you love God, you'll never have any trials. But the truth of the matter is, is that faith won't necessarily keep us out of the fiery furnace. As a matter of fact, faith may involve facing risk. It may involve ridicule. It may involve opposition and even attack. There are examples in scripture and life of men and women who suffered because of their faith. Not because they had done something wrong, but because, y'all ain't talking to me, they were trying to do something right. The fine print, somebody said fine print. The fine print in the life of faith is that sometimes we will suffer for our faith. Jeremiah was a faithful prophet, but his assignment, Deacon Cooper, didn't exempt him from suffering. He was rejected and mistreated by the people he was called to guide and to save. He was beaten and put in stocks. He was cast into a cistern and left to die. He was called a liar, and his messages continuously fell on deaf ears. Joseph was hated by his brothers. 
He was thrown down a well, exported to a foreign land, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, prison, falsely accused of sexual harassment, and left in prison for 17 years, seemingly for, he was left and abandoned, seemingly forgotten by God for 17 years. Naomi followed her husband to a foreign land and lost everything she held dear during her time away from home, including her husband and her two sons. King David was betrayed by his own son and endured trials from leadership over him and followers behind him. I'm coming to tell you that faith won't keep you necessarily out of the fiery furnace. I like the way Hebrews 11, 36 through 39 puts it. It says, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. It says they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They, went where they were put to death by the sword. They were, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them, somebody shout none of them, received what was promised. John the Baptist was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded on Nero's chopping block. John the apostle was banished to the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and Jesus our Savior and liberating Lord was crucified in a first century lynching. And we don't have time enough to consider the contemporary examples of the faithful and faith-filled people who suffered because of and in spite of their faith. Mega Evers and Martin King, Pastor Marilyn, Martin Luther King Jr. were assassinated, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A Lutheran German pastor who stood up to Adolf Hitler was jailed and martyred. Corinthian Boone's family who hid the Jews during the Nazi persecution were often persecuted and even went to jail. John Lewis was almost beaten to death. Congressman, I should say. John Lewis was almost beaten to death as a college student. And countless black folk was sprayed with tear gas and beaten with billy clubs and thrown in jail. I tell you, faith won't necessarily keep you out of the fiery furnace. And the brothers in our text, Hananiah, Sharice, and Michelle, and Azariah, those were their given names, but their slave names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, they remind us that the fine print of our contract with God is that even though God is good and even though God's promises are true and God can be trusted with the details of our life and that God, Richard, is a present help in time of trouble, there will still be time that we will suffer because of and in spite of our faith. When we consider the story, we would think that God would have protected Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego. When we consider the story, these God's boys, these are God's boys. I mean, they, 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 they got a relationship with God. They have served God. They, they know about the temple. They were in Jerusalem. And we would think that God would have protected them from the fiery furnace. All they were doing in the text was taking a stand. They were standing up for what they believe in. That's what believers do. We ought to stand up for what we believe in. We ought to stand up. For what's right, we ought to stand and ha always have an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. They professed and possessed an unfaltering and unwavering loyalty to their God. But the text shows us 
that their faith, their loyalty, and their commitment didn't keep them out of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among the Hebrew slaves who were taken to Babylon to serve after Jerusalem was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar. These three men were not older men. They were young boys. They were really considered to be youth, and they were without blemish. They were good-looking. They were well-favored, the Bible tells us, in appearance. They were skillful in all wisdom. They had discernment and an understanding. They were apt in learning knowledge. They were competent to stand and serve in the king's palace. And even though King Nebuchadnezzar, upon his arrival to Babylon, changed their name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego changed their location and tried to change their diet. With the hope of assimilating them into a foreign environment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego purposed in their hearts that they would not defile themselves with the king's food. They also purposed in their heart that they would not forget the God of their country or their ancestors. But in spite of their allegiance, in spite of their commitment to, uh, uh, to serve their God and to honor their God, they still found themselves facing a fiery furnace but in spite of the fact that they faced a fiery furnace they flourished in a foreign kingdom and here's a lesson to be found in the first documented test of these young men's faith and it is this God can still cause you to prosper even when you're in the enemy's camp can you talk to somebody and tell them God will still let you prosper even when you're in the enemy's camp God can cause you to bloom wherever you're planted Somebody needs to hear that today because somebody thinks that unless you're in a certain place with certain benefits and with certain people on your side that you cannot flourish. But I, I know you know what I'm talking about. I've come to tell you that God can cause you to prosper even when folk don't want you to succeed. God can cause you to prosper even when you're in a foreign land. God can cause you to bloom where you're planted. It would have been relatively easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to have reasoned that since they were captives in a foreign land, they should just go along with the king's program. They should go along to get along instead of trying to uh, retain their standards of conduct that they followed while they were in Jerusalem. But they did not abandon their practice of faith. They did not abandon their faith, I should say, or their practice. Touch your neighbor and say, I don't care where you are. You better not abandon your faith or your practice. I don't care who you hanging with. You, 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 you got to stop letting people intimidate you out of owning your allegiance and your honoring the God that you serve. There comes a time when if you're the only man standing or the only one standing, you can't let nothing separate you from the love of God. You're going to work with folk that don't think like you think. And live with people that don't believe like you lead, like you believe. And have friends that don't think like you think. But at the end of the day, you've got to make up in your mind that you will not abandon your faith or your practice. Real faith means obeying God even when the circumstances are difficult. Anybody can have faith when they're not under pressure. Anybody can have faith when folk ain't lying on you and putting your name on the wings of the morning. Anybody can have faith when there's no opposition and when it seems like our prayers are being answered. When there's no hardship, no trial or test, but real faith. Somebody shout real faith. 
Real faith comes when we have been put to the test. Real faith means obeying God when it's easier and more expedient to disobey. Real faith means that we can obey God even when the path of least resistance seems more desirable. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't abandon their faith even though they were in a strange land. And the Bible lets us know that they prospered in the land of their captivity. Look at somebody say, can I shout now? Do I have to wait? Because some of us know that God has prospered you in places you weren't supposed to succeed. God has blessed you. Y'all ain't talking. And God has promoted you. And God has elevated you in places where people said it would never happen. Can you take about 30 seconds and give God some praise that God will prosper you even when you're in the enemy's camp? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego became, were elevated in the kingdom. Daniel became known for interpreting the king's dreams. And subsequently, he served as the confidant and counselor of the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got some good government jobs. And they were placed over the affairs of the province. But how many of you know that sometimes elevation will bring on agitation? Y'all ain't talking to me. I said elevation will bring about agitation. You can be a saint. You can be an impeccable leader. You can be a, a great worker or an employee who has rightfully earned the promotion. But there are times when your elevation will bring on agitation. I'm just waiting for y'all to witness to that. Some of you know what I'm talking about, about agitators. Some of you know about how elevation brings out the worst in some folk, even when it brings out the best in you. Elevation will make you the target of envy and jealousy, sabotage and espionage. It is a tragic and sometimes disheartening fact that there are people who resent your success. There are people who can only celebrate when they're getting the award, when they're getting the recognition, when they're getting the promotion. I don't hear nobody in here that can agree with me that elevation will bring on agitation. Just watch how folk act when you get promoted. Just watch how people act when God does something major in your life. Just look at who's celebrating. Look at who's applauding. Look at who's liking your status on Facebook. Because elevation, y'all won't talk to me, will bring about essence agitation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their ascent to leadership in the Babylonian kingdom caused their jealous colleagues and dignitaries who were close to the king to do what most people do when they are envious of your success. Can I tell you something? Touch your neighbor and say, you might as well get used to people being envious of your success. Because if God's going to use, see, God can't use you without elevating you. God, if God's going to call you, God's going to do some things in your life. If, if God's going to use you, God's going to take you some places that nobody else said you would go. So how fast somebody say, you might as well get used to folk hating on you. you. You might as well get used to people resenting your success because it is part of what happens when God has his hand on your life. People will envy your success. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's colleagues did what most folk do, do when they're envious of the success of others. They work to discredit them and they work to destroy them. I wish I had time to talk about all the stuff folk will do to discredit you. To talk about all the ways that people go out of their way to try to keep you from succeeding when they can't do anything about it in the first place. Because what God has determined is for you, no devil in hell can stop it 
I can't get no help. And no angel in heaven is going to try. So you all look at your neighbor and tell them, tell, tell my enemy, shoot their best shot. Look, tell somebody, tell my enemy, shoot their best shot. Because if God be for me, he is more than the world against me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, friends or colleagues decided that they would work to discredit and, and destroy them. And Nebuchadnezzar had built a great golden image. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he placed it in the kingdom where everybody could come and worship. We just read the text. That's why I wanted you to read it so you would know I wasn't making it up. The dedication ceremony of the image was a major affair of the state. And everybody that was somebody <laughs> was there for the, for, the, for, the, for the ceremony. Everybody in the kingdom was there, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and the issue had been made or the decree had been made that when the music started to play, at a certain time, I'm in the right house. That when, when the music would start to play at a certain time, that everybody was to bow down and worship. And they had even made it a matter of public record, uh, 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 June, that it, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown. Somebody shout immediately. Will immediately be thrown into a fire. We ain't going to wait till tomorrow. Y'all ain't saying nothing. We're not going to go and send anybody to investigate. We're not going to go and write up a report. If you don't bow, you will immediately, in the presence of all these people, be thrown into a fiery furnace. And judging from the text, everybody bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow to the golden image because it was against their religion to worship idols. But more specifically, they were practicing what is called civil disobedience. Because somebody shout civil disobedience. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has often been watered down. It's been romanticized and sanitized. Because many sermons on this text never offer a hint uh, of the actions or how the actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their good government jobs were political, risky, and radical. Even though we tell this story and we emphasize often their obedience and how we wish we could be as brave as they were in a similar situation. Where rarely do we hear this story as a lesson about civil disobedience. Since Jeff Session wants to talk about Romans 13, we need to know that some of the first folk that practice civil disobedience are people that we admire in the scriptures. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had enough presence of mind to discern disobedience because they were being act, asked to act in a way that was out of alignment with their values, their conscience, and most importantly, when it was out of alignment with the will of God. Can I tell you that when somebody challenges you, tries to bully you, tries to intimidate you into doing something that is outside of the will of God, King said you have a moral obligation to disobey an unjust law. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had moved up in the hierarchy of, the, of, of government. They, but they were simultaneously subjected to cultural oppression. Although they had been promoted in the hierarchy of their involuntary service to Nebuchadnezzar, like African Americans in an era of Jim Crow, they were still subjected to second-class citizenship as non-egalitarian ethnic minorities in the diaspora. In other words, they had the title, but they didn't have no power. 
They were in the job, but they didn't really have no kind of say-so about nothing. They were just window dressing. And so even though they were working for the king, the king didn't necessarily recognize the God that they served. And Nebuchadnezzar's construction of the golden statue and his order that everybody bow to worship the statue created a form of theocracy that the Hebrew boys could not co-sign. Their theology provided the framework for their practice of civil disobedience. Can I stop right here parenthetically and say that your theology ought to provide a framework for how you live your life. That your theology ought to inform your sociology. That your theology ought to inform your anthropology. And it was their theology that informed the framework for their civil disobedience. They said, we ain't going. Somebody shout civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is the refusal to abide by an order of the government. Hear me now. Or the state. Or even the court if it's morally unjust. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego practiced civil disobedience because what the king was asking them to do was morally unjust. Because they were bound to obedience to a higher law. In his letter to the Birmingham from the Birmingham jail, King said we have a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And I would also add we have a moral responsibility to disobey laws that are contrary to God's will. Laws that deviate from God's spiritual norm. Laws that are out of alignment with God's vision for the world. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro stood in defiance. I wonder if I was going to catch it. Of the king's degree because it was in conflict with the God who said you should not, you should not uh, create or form an idol in any form or anything in heaven above on, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. So they were asking Shadrach to walk out of harmony and out of alignment with what they knew was right, what they knew was righteous, what they knew was morally just and correct. And these men were saying, I must be disobedient to a king so that I can be obedient to the king. Can I come back and get somebody? Can you tell somebody? Sometimes you got to be disobedient to a king so you can be obedient to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the first or the only ones to disobey a government order. Shipra and Pua, the Hebrew midwives who refused to kill the baby boys. Pharaoh told them because the Hebrews were multiplying like rabbits that when you go to the birthing stool and you see that the baby is a boy, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let him live. I'm in Exodus chapter 2 of Exodus chapter 1. But the Bible says that the midwives feared God. And because they reverence God, they let the boys live. In every generation and in every age, there have been individuals who have been bound by a higher law. Their decision is reminiscent of moments right here in America where civil disobedience was necessary to be freed from the shackles of colonialism and the oppression of the British Empire, for Germans to stand up to the insanity of Hitler, for John Lewis and countless activists to stand up to segregation. And it's why we have progressive resistance of every kind in this age of unbridled greed, capitalism, 45, and his threat to the destabilization of democracy. I 
agree with King, who said that there are times when man-made laws are out of harmony with the moral law of the universe. I agree with King when he said there are times when human laws are out of harmony with the eternal and divine laws. And when that happens, we have a moral obligation, not just to talk about it, but to break it. And King reminds us that if we ever find ourselves in that kind of situation, we are in good company because Esther did it, Daniel did it, Jesus did it, the early Christians did it, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all forerunners of civil disobedience. They refused to bow, and because of their refusal, they were reported to the king. And when the king heard what they had done, he was hot. Somebody shout, he was hot. He was furious. He was infuriated. When he found out what they had done, now the truth of the matter is, as I was reading this text, he gave them an ultimatum to bow or burn. But the truth of the matter is, he could have just fired them. Y'all ain't saying nothing. He didn't have to threaten them with throwing them in a fiery furnace. But because he was also trying to exert his power, and his control over them. See, that's how the enemy operates. The enemy operates through intimidation and domination. It would have been just as simple to fight them, to take their good government job. But that wasn't enough because his ego was on the line. And as a result, when he found out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, he gave them one more chance. I can hear him in my sanctified imagination. I heard that y'all didn't bow the first time. But I'm going to give y'all a chance because you know payday is Friday. And you Negroes know y'all need y'all job. And y'all know you need to pay your bills. So I'm going to give you one more chance, Chris, for you to bow before this golden image. But the truth of the matter is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And here they are doing the will of God, attempting to uphold God's honor. They're consciously objecting to the practice of idolatry, attempting to submit to God. And where does their loyalty land them? Thank you, scholars. In the fiery furnace. Look at somebody says, sometimes loyalty to God will land you in the furnace. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about that. Come on, tell somebody, sometimes loyalty to God will land you in the fiery furnace. See, we have these sanitized versions of what it means to follow Jesus. We have all these romanticized visions of what it means to follow Jesus that ain't nobody gonna dislike us and ain't nobody gonna hate us and ain't nobody gonna talk about us and ain't nobody gonna lie on us and that we'll never be opposed and that there'll never be opposition. But can I tell you that you can be doing the right thing. You can serve God. You can be upholding the will of God and it will land you in the fiery furnace. Somebody shall find print. The fine print of our relationship with God is that sometimes you have to suffer for doing the will of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are proof that it sometimes happens. Here they are suffering for their obedience, suffering for doing what's right, suffering for standing by their conviction. Faith won't keep you out the fiery furnace. Would have been easier and more expedient to rationalize and convince them to just go ahead and bow. Just go on and get, go along to get along. Just do it this one time. Somebody shout one time. Just go on and do it this one time. Ain't nobody going to know. Ain't nobody going to say nothing. Go on and save your life. They could have made a case for situational ethics. 
in this situation, it would be all right to bow down because they could possibly get killed if they didn't. And certainly God wouldn't want them to die, would he? Certainly God would want them to fulfill their purpose. Or they could have argued based on culture. The Babylonians are not going to understand the laws of our God. And we don't want to offend the culture and ruin our witness. So let's just go on and bow now so they'll listen to us later. Anyway, nobody that knows us going to see us anyhow. So we can go on and just cave in to the culture and do what the culture expects. Or they could have argued God's compassion. They could have rationalized and said, well, you know, God is a loving God. And, and God is a compassionate God. And God is slow to anger and easy and quick to forgive. We'll just bow this one time and then we'll ask God to forgive us later. Because we believe that God ain't quite as mean. And God is more understanding and forgiving than the Babylonians. But can I tell you that it's true that God does forgive the sins of his people. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins but we misunderstand the grace of God when we base our disobedience on his gracious forgiveness some would argue for a closeted protest they said we will just kneel on the outside but we'll be standing up and worshiping God on the inside because God knows my heart you know that's the first thing we say every time we trying to justify any devilment we trying to get into instead of us coming out the closet and being true to who we really are y'all won't talk to me and being true to our God we want to be closeted in our protest. But there are sometimes you got to do like Kaepernick. And you got to get down on your knees in front of everybody and show them that you're not just worshiping God on the inside, but you're standing up for God on the outside. The three Hebrew boys could have come up with many excuses to justify their disobedience to the law of God. Much like many of us do, we compromise under pressure. We cave in to our friends and our family. We want people to like us. We resort to people pleasing more than pleasing God. We base our decision on subjective experience and subjective, I feel like preaching, evaluations. We base it on personal preference rather than God-honoring and Christ-honoring principles. even though the pressure we face is nothing compared to the pressure of facing death if we obey. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't make excuses. They didn't cave in to the pressure. They stood firm in their faith, but their faith didn't keep them out of the fiery furnace. As a matter of fact, when Nebuchadnezzar gave them the second chance, and he found out that they did not bow to the the golden image, he was furious about what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had done. Because not only were they being insubordinate, but they were also immoral embarrassing him and so he says to them in the tech now look here is it true is it true what they telling me that you are refusing to serve my gods or worship the image that I set up now I'm gonna give you one more chance and when you hear the music the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp it's in the bible the pipes and all kinds of music if you think you're ready to fall down then well and good but if you don't Worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then he qualifies it by saying, then what God? will be able to rescue you from my hand. In other words, he was setting himself up to compete, y'all ain't saying nothing, with the true and the living God. He was suggesting that the God you serve is no match for me. But Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro knew something that King Nebuchadnezzar did not know. They knew that Nebuchadnezzar's arms were too short to box with God. And so they looked at Nebuchadnezzar and they said, oh, king, 
We don't have to defend ourselves. Can you just look at somebody and say, sometimes you ain't got to say nothing. The Lord will fight your battle for you if you just keep still. Sometimes you don't have to try to justify. You don't have to try to explain. Sometimes you just need to say, oh, king, it won't be necessary to defend ourselves because if you throw us in the blazing furnace, the God we serve, can you look at somebody said the God we serve is able to deliver us and he will rescue us from your hand but here's your shout but if he does not we still will not bow or serve your God can you high five somebody and say buddy of not Shadrach Meshach and Abednego had an expression conviction and an expression of confidence that testified to the existence of a God who was real and the God was so real and they were so convinced of God's existence that they said to Nebuchadnezzar we know that our God is able we know that God will rescue us but just in case he doesn't we gonna prophesy in advance so that when he delivers us our deliverance will be a vindication of our conviction can you shake your neighbor's hand and tell him you might have to face a fiery furnace but go ahead and prophesy that the God that you serve is able to bring you out so when he does it your deliverance will be vindication of your conviction. Shout in here, shake that hand, tell somebody the best revenge is victory. Find somebody else and tell them the best revenge is victory. High five your neighbor and shout, but if not, they're saying it, read the fine print. can deliver me. I don't serve him just so he can make a way. I serve him because he's God and he's in a class all by himself. The Bible says let every man be alive and let God be true. Shake that hand and say but if not, in other words, if he don't deliver, if he don't heal me, if it doesn't bless me, if it doesn't save me, if it doesn't make a way, if it doesn't restore, if it doesn't make my enemies my footstool, I'm still gonna serve him. Cause the real test is not whether I die in the fire, but the real test is can I trust him in the fire? Shake that hand. Shout yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody shout unconditional faith. Somebody shout. Thank you for joining our podcast. 
We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. 